0: So much appreciate the band and praise team being with us today. And uh, again, what a joy it is to, to have you uh, again just opening up your, your TV, your computer, uh, your, your iPhone, uh, and welcoming us in. It's a lot better today. The last few weeks I've been singing to myself as I've come up to preach, and uh, what, a, what a great joy to have uh, this group with us today to lead us in worship. I don't know about you, but as a parent, when I've seen my kids thrive and do well, I don't always like have this attitude that says, oh, well, you've done a great job. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just stop while everything's going good? No. Instead, you, you have this thought that says, man, you're doing good. Keep pressing forward. Whether they be in athletics or whether it be in their grades or whether it be in music, it's always this call that says, look, you're doing so good. Keep pressing forward. And as we think about Paul and his relationship with the church at Ephesus, he looks at them and says, you guys are doing good, but, but I want you to keep pressing on so that you know God more, that you seek God's heart. And that you trust his power to live out the life that he has for you so that you can be all that you can be for him and impact as many lives before you get to heaven. And that is the theme and thought of his prayer for that church in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible at home, take it, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse number 15. We're going to read through verse number 20, but keep your Bible open because we're going to make reference down to verse number 23. Ephesians chapter 1, pick up in verse number 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. With that, let's pray. God, speak to us today. Lord, for families as they're listening today, for those couples that are in their home today, Lord, for those that are are just listening and and longing to hear a word from you today. Lord, I I think of many who may be watching this alone and, and just needing a sense of your presence and your power in their life. And God, through your great grace and mercy, would you move? Remind us of how great and wonderful you are and change us in your name, amen Paul loved the church at Ephesus and he shares one of the greatest passages on salvation in Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse number three all the way through verse number fourteen we find this big long sentences Paul unpacks the picture of what salvation really is, and then he begins this prayer with a heart of thanksgiving and love for this church, and he says look i I know you're doing good. Man, I see the love that you have. And I am so thankful for how God is working in your life. But I want you to press on. I want you to move forward. Over the next few weeks, our church is going to be moving forward as we, again, join back in corporate worship. But then as we begin to to look at this aspect of worship, and then we think about, hey, there's people without Christ that need to be reached, and, and we don't want to lose that sense of mission. We want to move forward in that. There are people who need to be discipled. We want to press forward in that. And Paul is praying that these believers would not become stagnant in their faith, but that they would pray to, to move forward, to know God more, to seek his heart and to trust his awesome power. So Paul begins his prayer with this sense of thanksgiving and love. But then he moves to the heart of his prayer in verse number 17. And he prays that these believers would know God Notice back with me in verse number 17 where he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So God, would you... Show yourself through this spirit of revelation and knowledge. Would you speak to our our, their, their minds and their hearts? And this is a prayer. He's praying, God, open up their mind to the spirit and the revelation that is before them so that they may have a greater knowledge of who you are. And isn't that the goal of our life? Paul would say in Philippians 3, I want to know him. And that's our heartbeat. God, we want to know you more, to know God. But it's interesting the names that, that are used in the beginning of verse number 17 in this prayer. He he prays that they would know God's deity. Notice what he prays in verse number 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, know his deity. What he's saying is, I pray that you would know the God of salvation, the God of our Savior who sent his Son as our salvation. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God of the Savior. It tells us that God sent forth His Son. John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. First John 4.14, the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And then in Galatians four four. in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that are under the law. So he says, I pray that you would know God and know his heart, that he would love you so much and care for you so much, but with great authority and power and infinity and in his deity, he would send his son as the only way of salvation. I pray that you would know God, his deity, but not only know his deity, but know his greatness. He calls him the father of glory. It's, it's interesting in this passage as we think of that picture, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. When we think of the glory of God, we think of the total sum of all of his perfections and beauty and attributes wrapped up into this sense, essence of who he is. That is his glory. The total sum of all of God's attributes are what comprise his glory. And he prays that they would know the father of glory. The, this great God who shows his awesome attributes and power through sending his son. In the Old Testament, it was an interesting word, the word glory. In the Old Testament, it was the word kabod, which, which gave a picture of weightiness. It, if someone uh, in, in your life, If their opinion carries a lot of weight, then, then they, they are influential in your life. And here in the Old Testament, the word glory meant that God would carry a lot of weight. That would be, He knows all. His word goes. He's the greatest. He's the wisest. He carries his, He he carries a weight in what He tells us to do. And the picture is for us, as we think of the total sum attributes of all that God is, the Father of glory. Does he carry weight in our life? Does he carry weight in your life? When he speaks to us through the word, is it carrying weight in your life? Know God, know that he is infinite, he is He is beyond Uh, what we can even describe in his deity and in his greatness, but may his revelation carry weight in your life. He prays that they would know, that they would come to the knowledge of him. Now, they knew him in salvation. He's writing to believers, but he's saying, know him more. Don't stop there. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. And some of you over the last few weeks through the quarantine, have had more time to spend with God and you're getting to know him more. Others, you've just found other things to fill your life with. And God say, look, you need to come to know me. But not only to know God, but notice in verse number 18, as he shares, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that you would not only know God, but know God's heart know God's heart. He begins and says that you would know the hope of his calling, that you would understand that as we think about the hope of his calling, that God calls his believers. God calls us. There's three wide range aspects of how God calls us. First off, God calls us to salvation. That's what he's described in the opening verses. God calls us to Salvation. God calls his believers. He calls us to salvation. And as he calls us to salvation, he he calls us to to receive forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7, just a few verses before, he, he says, look, in him there is redemption, forgiveness of sin. He calls us to salvation. God calls his believers. If you don't know that you know Jesus today, God's calling you. He's saying, look, you need to have forgiveness of sin. You need to experience uh, a new life in Christ. You need to have the old things passed away and everything needs to become new. God calls his believers to salvation, but then he also calls us to sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he speaks to them about living a holy life. Being sanctified means being set apart. And that picture of being set apart and coming to know him more, and then he calls us to service. He calls us to salvation. He calls us to know him more. And then he calls us to, to serve, to get in to do something. Jesus did this throughout his ministry. He said this, follow me. Come to me in salvation and I will make you become, I'm going to, to work with you and bring you to a point of sanctification. I'll make you become fishers of men and he sends them out. It's that picture of God calling us. But the hope that is involved with this and the hope of his calling has already been shared with us in verses 3 through 14. When he talks about the hope of his calling, he refers back and he says, Look, God calls you, but look what undergirds what God is doing in your life. In verse number three, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In verse number uh, four, he the picture in verse five that, that he chose us, he adopts us into his family. Verse number seven, he forgives us of sin. Verse nine through 11, he explains and shows us the mystery of knowing Christ. And then verses 13 and 14, that we have the Holy Spirit seal our life. So the hope of this security and the hope of, of our calling to salvation and to sanctification and to services. Look what all that God has done for you. And in light of all that God has done for you, won't you heed the call? That's the picture. God calls his believers. But we also see something else very unique in this passage that I have to admit jumped out this week in a very fresh and new way for me. God not only calls his believers but he values his believers. Notice at the end of verse number 18. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, as I've read this before, I've thought about his inheritance. He, he's talk, God's talking about what we're going to inherit when we get to heaven. He's not talking about that at all. He already mentions that up in verse number 11 in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. So, we already have an inheritance. So, what is the value of the inheritance here that's being talked about in in, in verse number 18? Here's what it is you're his inheritance. Because of the death of Christ, believers are the inheritance that Christ presents before the Father in heaven. (laughs) What a picture! Now, when you see and hear about someone getting a million dollars in their inheritance, or they get, uh, this fancy car that their father or their great grandfather owned, or they receive this, this piece of property, or they receive this land. Here, the picture is, is that Paul, as he prays, he says, look, you are the inheritance. God values you so much that because of the death of Christ, you're his inheritance. Now, before you get too excited on that, let me just tell you, there's a show on TV that I've watched a few times called Strange Inheritance. And uh, if you don't automatically think of someone when I mention strange inheritance who is going to heaven, then others may be thinking about you. Ah, uh, when we think about a strange inheritance, there there's all kinds of different, different things. Scrap metal and a, a toy soldier collection and pieces of art that people didn't think were worth anything. And, and all of this stuff. And here's the picture. They, they take this stuff and then they sell it. Or it has this such sentimental value that they hold on to it. But it's the sense of value that is in that either monetary and then they get rid of it, or sentimental and they want to hold on to it. Can I tell you, God holds on to us as his children forever because of what Jesus paid for us. And we, as his believers, are a reminder and will be a reminder for all eternity of the price that Jesus paid so that we could go to heaven. We're part of his inheritance. Hey, you might receive an inheritance one day, but when you go to heaven, you'll be part of an inheritance. This week, one of our church members, Karen Clifford, stepped into eternity. And that inheritance that Jesus paid and died for was received by God the Father. The picture is, is that God values us so much that he not only promises us an inheritance in verse number 11, but he says you're part of an inheritance in verse number 18. Know God. Know God's heart. Can I tell you, God values you today. He loves you today. Don't, Don't let the circumstances and the challenges around you bring question on whether God loves you or not or whether God is with you. Those things have already been been shared and solved in Scripture, that Jesus loved us so much, he died on the cross for us. He promises he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He values us so much. Listen, he'll hold on to us for all eternity. And that is the picture as we know God's heart. As we know God's heart, he calls us and then receives us as part of his inheritance. Not only do we know God and know God's heart, but then Paul prays that they would know God's power, that they would know God's power. It was essential for them. Ephesus was a, was a sinful place. Ephesus was uh, a place filled with idolatry. And last year, as we were able to, to go into Ephesus and see uh, the remains of so uh, many uh, temples that were to idols, the picture is is that they needed God's power to sustain them as they walk through their Christian life. And notice that God's power is going to rise to the occasion. God's power is demonstrated. He says in verse number 19, what is the exceeding greatness of power, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And then in verse number 20 through 23, we get a demonstration of God's power and how God showed his power to each of us. Now in the Old Testament, the great picture of God's power was the exodus. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea... Ultimately, they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. Then he opened up the Jordan and he brought them into the promised land. That, those were the great demonstrations of God's power. In the New Testament, the great demonstration of God's power is through raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's exactly what we see. God's power is demonstrated in Christ. Notice verse number 20, which he, he worked his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. Christ when He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now God's power is demonstrated in Christ. God raised him from the dead, and this verse also tells us that he seated him at the right hand. Now there's something interesting because Jesus brought people back to life. There was Jairus' daughter. As a little girl, Jesus touched her and brought her back to life. And you know what? She went right back on with her life as a little girl. There was a a widow in Nain who had a son in the city of Nain. And and this little boy had died and and Jesus raised him from the dead. Right there as the funeral procession was going by. Jesus raised him from the dead. And guess what happened? He went right on with his life as a little boy. And ultimately he would die again. And in John chapter 11, we find the great story of Lazarus. As Jesus speaks to the, to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the, the, uh, Lazarus comes walking out of the, the, the grave, uh, wrapped in his, his grave clothes. But Lazarus would, would step right back into life and he would ultimately die again. When God raised Jesus from the dead, everything changed. Because God not only raised him, but then he seated him at the right hand. This was the place of exaltation. So that in Philippians chapter 2, where God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, he has seated him at the right hand. Now, it doesn't stop there. Notice in verse number 20 that he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him to be head over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the picture is, as God not only raised him up, but he sits him at the right hand and says, Jesus, I'm giving you authority over everything. That's the power of God. But don't miss this. Because I, I, I wanted to, to, to work this backwards so that we see the demonstration of his power in verse number 20 through 23, but then now go back and look at verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Then he demonstrates his power. So, so what's, what's he saying in this passage? God's power is promised to those who believe. And then Paul says, God's power is promised to those who believe, and that power was demonstrated through the resurrection of Christ. I did that backwards because I wanted you to see that great power. Now slide back. You look back now and say, this is the power that I have access to in my spiritual life. Notice what it says, though. Toward us who believe. Now, this word believe, obviously, is the same word that we talk about believing in Scripture. Notice in verse number 13. In him you also trusted after hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the original belief of salvation. He's saying, you believed in the past, but this word... That is used in verse number 19 is a word that gives a present active sense. In other words, it's as you're living out your life, God promises that as you believe and you're moving forward in faith, that God's sufficient power will come to your aid. The picture is, is that the power that we have disposal to as believers is so great that it raised Christ from the dead. It seated him at the right hand of the Father and put everything under his feet. That's the picture. And he says you can have that kind of power if you keep walking in faith and believing. You believe. Do you believe enough to go? Do you believe enough to give? Do you believe enough to speak? God says, look, I'm going to give you the power and everything that you need as you move forward believing in him with this present active faith that as you're moving, it's one of these things that God doesn't just sit here or watch us sit here and say, you know, if, if you would just do that. No, he says, you begin to believe and you begin to move forward in faith and you're going to find my power and my grace is always sufficient. I want to tell you today, God's power will see you through. God's power will see you through. Now, obviously, we can take passages like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and, you know, try to hit more home runs or, you know, throw more touchdown passes or, you know, score higher on my school without studying, without working, all of those kind of things. And, and the picture is that's not, the, not, that's not what God's saying at all. What he's saying is, is as I move forward, that everything God calls me to do, I can do in his strength. I can do in his power because his power raised Jesus from the dead. And I can trust his power to see me through anything he calls me to do in my life. And that's what Paul prays for this church. First century Roman rule, idolatry and immorality all around them. They need the power of God to move in their life to make a difference. And guess what? The power of God never fails. It may not come the way we want it to or or the way that, that we think it should, but God's power will never fail. His power is always sufficient. I feel like when it comes to God's power, it's like trying to take a thimble of the ocean And try to describe what someone, to someone, what the ocean is really like. You just get a thimble full of that little salt water, and then you try to describe this massive tide that rolls in day after day, week after week. That's the picture as we try to attempt to understand and explain the power of God. But let's turn this back. God says, look, as you follow my will, I'm going to give you the power to do whatever I call you to do. So let's ask some questions. If God's going to give us that sufficient power in our life, that power that raised Christ from the dead, I want to ask you Do you know God? Have you experienced that awesome and wonderful gift of salvation? If you're watching on live stream, on Facebook, let me ask you, do you know God? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know Him? Not only do you, do you know Him, are, are you one of these people that, that as we think about that that hope of His calling, are you following God's call? He has a call, a call to salvation, a call to sanctification, a call to service. Where are you at? Are are you, after receiving that call of salvation, are you working and growing closer to him? And are you active in serving him? Are you following God's call? And then, are you trusting God's power? He might call you to do something that's hard. Matter of fact, that's why we have to lean in and draw close to him. That's why we have to live by faith. We have to trust God. God's power. I pray today that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you would pray a prayer, not to me, not for our church, but for you, and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus, you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and rose again. Jesus, come into my life. I turn from that life of sin, and I turn to you. I pray that would be your prayer. For those of us who are believers today, I pray that our prayer would be, God, make me sensitive to know you more, to follow your call, and to trust your power. With that, we're going to take a moment and pray. I pray that you've held held with us through this time and that God speak to you. We have an awesome and a mighty and a powerful God who wants to work in your life. He is infinite, and yet he's intimate. He is all powerful and yet He is personal. God wants to work in your life. Can I take a minute and pray and the band's going to to come back and lead us. And then Pastor Jerry has some words at the end. I want to encourage you to to hold on and uh, he's going to share some words for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that by your great and mighty power, you sent Jesus so that we could experience salvation. And God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in the calling. And Lord, thank you for your demonstration of power that's indescribable and infinite. Lord, thank you for being so good. God, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.